Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode 34, The Bulls of Bashan. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell here with... Zena. Zena, the Warrior Princess, and we're back for another episode. This is actually going to be episode number 34. That's crazy. And uh, you know we are at almost uh, 11,000 plus uh, subscribers now. That's wonderful. Last I checked, it was close to 11,900. And uh, when this episode airs, it should be May the 2nd or 3rd, May the 3rd. And so I want to let our listeners know that we are going to be guests again on Coast to Coast with George Nori. Yes, how exciting. So that's going to be uh, Thursday night. I think that is May the 6th. And I'll be doing the midnight to 2 a.m. slot. Uh, George will interview me, and then we'll have callers call in. So tune in if you can stay up. (laughs) Yes, if you can stay up. That's the truth. (laughs) And we appreciate all of you listening. I appreciate also all of you that have written me. Uh, You've given me insight on ideas of what we can talk about and also just given me very kind compliments about you, Zena, about the show and and the changes it's made in their own appreciation of the Bible. So we're excited about that. That's what it's all about. So today, guess what we're going to talk about? Um, I mean, by the picture that is on your laptop, quite scary. It's a scary looking thing. It looks like a a bull that (laughs) thinks it is a man. A bull that like a, there used to be a name for the combination of a bull man or or, you know how like a a centaur was a horseman or a horsewoman. This was called a minotaur. A minotaur was a bull with a man's body, you know, whatever. And so the title of the episode is called The Bulls of Bashan. We actually read a passage about that when we were talking about Gog and Magog. Really? And so I kind of alluded to you that we might come back to this, you know. That is so right. Yeah. Now, you're, now we're coming back. Now we're coming back to it. <laughs> so I think what we're going to do is we're going to start in the passage where it's uh, where we last read it to kind of refresh our listeners about where it showed up in the episode of Gog and Magog. It's Ezekiel chapter 39. The two chapters that discuss the battle of Gog and Magog is Ezekiel 38 and 39. And in 39 verse 17, we had read, And thou, son of man, which is a reference to the prophets uh, Ezekiel, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come together, 
uh, come gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. And you might recall, Zena, when we talked about this big coalition force that will eventually attack Israel, God's going to deliver them, mm -hmm. and he's going to defeat them for them. They won't have to lift a finger. And all the slain bodies, five-sixths of the entire invading force, will be dead in the mountains of Israel. And that's a lot of corpses. Yes. So he's inviting the vultures and the birds and the animals to come devour the flesh. And then remember, we talked about they'll be burying bones for seven months. Yes. Right? I do remember that. So uh, he's saying to the birds and the, and the flesh-eating carrion animals, you shall eat the flesh of the mighty. And drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you be full, and drink blood till you be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. And he's not literally sacrificing rams and lambs and goats and bullocks, because those were sacrifices that the law of Moses required Israel give for sin offerings and peace offerings mm -hmm. and things like that. But he's tying them into it as though when I slaughter these enemies of Israel, it's going to be my sacrifice to the birds, to the vultures. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And therefore he calls them that, but there was no... Uh, incidental reference to Bashan. We're going to come to that. And it's a, it's a country, it's a land. Okay. All right. And then he says, thus you shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. So the sacrifice is of men, the enemies of, of God and the enemies of Israel. So it's not actually rams and bulls and goats. They're types of that. And he refers to them because it's a sacrificial thing mm -hmm. to these vultures and buzzards and whatnot. <laughs> but Bashan is the thing that's interesting because it shows up in Scripture a lot. Do you know why that is? I do. I think we're going to discover that there's something about it. Because the word Bashan itself, uh, we're going to find out in a moment, just refers to like being a fruitful valley. Okay. So it's like, you know, this would be a good place to grow crops or trees or something. Uh, but there's a reason for that. It was a desire, you know, any, any land that's fertile like that, well, people desire it. So if they're going to fight over land, they want the best land, right? But there's something prophetic about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he refers to bulls of Bashan while he's dying. So it's found in the psalm. So we're back in the Torah, the Old Testament, Psalm 22 and verse 1. We're going to read most of the chapter because the context is useful for the listener to hear what is he, When he gets to talking about bulls of Bashan, it's not like out of the blue. Okay. You know, there's a reason for it. So Psalm 22, verse 1, and we read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I'm going to stop right there and ask you as, as the listener, right, <laughs> in their place, have you ever heard that expression before? I have. Okay. Do you, do you recall maybe, was it used in a context of something in somebody's own personal crisis, or do you recall it from like a historical reference to scripture? I would say both. Both? Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I feel like you've read this uh, scripture before, 
Oh, we may have. You're right. But I'm trying to remember exactly in what context you were reading it from. Right. Well, and and I'm not trying to stretch your memory necessarily of things we discussed, but I was thinking it's sometimes used as an expression of people when they, it's kind of like, you know, Lord, why did, why did you leave me? Why am I going through this horrible time in my life? Mm -hmm. I feel like you're not there. And yet he really is, but we, we feel like we're abandoned. Yeah. So it can be used as an expression of abandonment. But, But the reason why is because these were actually the words uttered by Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus said these words? He said these words. Mm. Now, and he cites David. David wrote the Psalms. David is the author of this Psalm. So he was going through his own situation. And therefore, you know, he may have felt at the time like God had abandoned him. So he wrote them. But being a prophet of God, as we read further, we're going to find out that it's literally the circumstance being described of Jesus being crucified. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it turns out that even though he did no sin, he was crucified for the sins of the world. So in effect, he took the place of the guilty. The innocent lamb was nailed to the cross in the place of the guilty sinner, murderer like me. Mm -hmm. So at some point when that transfer took place, as it were, in in a legal sense, God put to his account my trespasses and your trespasses and Mm -hmm. the world's sins. And therefore... In a, in a way, it's like he symbolically had to turn his back to his son. Just as God hides his face from Israel for their sins, yes. he hides his face from his son in that moment when he becomes the sacrifice. So he dies, ends up in the lower parts of the earth to pay for sins, and then he's delivered the third day and he rises from the dead. Mm-hmm. So it's all this is, is summarized in this passage here. So he okay. says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Like I'm just groaning in pain, you know. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So notice in his despair, he doesn't, disregard God. He doesn't turn from him. He says, you're holy. You must know what you're doing, right? Our fathers trusted in thee. Mm -hmm. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. So he's kind of like saying, hey, you're holy. They trusted in you. So he's going to trust in him. And then he recognizes this, verse six, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Now, David really wasn't in that sort of a situation there. Mm-hmm. He became the king of Israel. For a time, he was anointed to be king, but Saul was still king and hated him because yeah. he knew he was going to take his place, so he tried to kill him. So Saul sent an army after David and his men well, and tried to hunt him down for quite a while before God finally took Saul out. David wouldn't do it. You know, People kept saying, why don't you just go kill Saul? You could overwhelm him with your might if God's on your side. And David was like, no, I'm going to wait on the Lord. When the Lord's ready for me, I'll step in. He's mm-hmm. going to have to remove Saul. Yes. So Saul, during that time, as a type of Satan, went after David as a type of Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's why he writes these words. So he's saying, I'm despised of the people. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And those were the very words of the crowd that crucified Jesus Christ. He said, oh, you think if you're such a man of God, why doesn't God take you down off the cross? You know, and there he was nailed to it, right? Yeah. 
So it was a it was a form of derision. It was a form of them being mocking him and teasing him in a horrible way. Yes, yeah, very horrible. Yeah, oh, it was it was awful. And so now you're getting into when you, when you said that just now, it made me realize this is almost the the whole point of this thing about the bulls of Bashan. Men were there, uh, Roman soldiers that nailed him and mm-hmm. that that mocked him. Uh, the leaders of Israel that did not want him to be their king and said, crucify him. They incited the mob. The people that followed along with it uh, who, you know, complied because they were deceived. But there was something else there that wasn't human. Satanic angels were rejoicing and dancing and delighting as he died because they thought they were (laughs) defeating God. Yeah, yeah. Now, what were they? Were they, were they disguised as humans? They were uh, spiritual entities that nobody could have seen at the time, but Jesus could see them. And hence, he's going to refer to them as bulls of Bashan. Hmm, which makes sense. Yeah, so watch what happens. It's really cool. But thou art he, still talking about God. I'm, I'm going to trust you. You know what you're doing. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast, and I was when I was just an infant, you were planning my life. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, surrounded. A compass is a surrounding. Uh, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. In other words, I'm surrounded. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. Now, bulls don't eat flesh. You know, they're yeah. herbivores, right? So mm-hmm. these are not cattle walking around, you know, nope, as Jesus not. crucified, right? <laughs> a ravening and roaring lion is something that's like carnivorous and ferocious. So mm-hmm. it's another picture here, another symbol. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Bowels in the King James Bible was like the deep seat of emotions. We think of like internal organs. Yeah, it was like a bowel movement. Yeah, like a bowel movement, like Mm -hmm. the intestines, right? Mm -hmm. But it was considered, you know, you know, when you really, when your heart aches for somebody, you feel it in your gut. Mm -hmm. That was the term they were using. I I, I yearn for you in my bowels. It doesn't sound as romantic as I love you with all my heart. (laughs) But, uh, you know, nobody ever said a song about I love you with all my bowels. No, they definitely did not. (laughs) But the bowels were considered the seed of deep emotion. Okay. So great anguish, great love, great mercy always was deep inside. He says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, which is just a shard of, of a broken pot. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. Now we've got another animal. So yeah. we've alluded to bulls, we've alluded to roaring lions, and now dogs have compassed me. Dogs were considered unclean. I know. (laughs) We think of our precious little pets. (laughs) And you used to groom dogs, right? So we think of how much we love our pets. But dogs were considered, you know, they were not clean animals. So, yeah, you didn't, you people didn't have dogs as pets in Israel. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's how Christ was nailed. Yeah. And here's David a thousand something years before that, 15 or something years before that, uh, 1500. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. In other words, he was just like, you know, emaciated. So you could see, you could see all the ribs showing as he he was hanging there. 
And then they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Do you know that when Jesus Christ was crucified, he had a, a typical cloak, which most people would wear. And it became a very multi-purpose clothing item. And so when you had one of those, you, you used it for everything. It was your bed cover sometimes. It was your shelter from rain. It was whatever. It was a very useful piece of clothing. Now, a cloak, is that kind of the same as like a toga or a togo? It could be like a toga. It could be like a cape. Okay. But it just depended on how you wore it. So you're okay. right. It was a versatile kind of uh, instrument, if you will. Well, when a person had one of those, that was valuable. Because, you know, that was something that you could use for so many things. And you didn't just come by one of those easily. Yeah. That could be many days' wages to mm -hmm. afford one. So Christ is crucified. They're going to kill him. Rome doesn't care what they do with his clothes. So the two centurions that nailed him to the cross parted his garments between them. And when they came to the cloak, they said, let's not tear it in two to divide it evenly, let's cast the dice for it, and the winner of the high roll gets the cloak. And that was prophesied a thousand years before it happened. That's crazy that they had dice back then. Yeah, and, and <laughs> casting of the lots might have been different than we think of dice today, but it was a similar game of chance. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. I mean, it was, they, and they did have dice. They played a lot of games in those days. They were, you know, the game Backgammon? No. It's ancient. People still play backgammon today. What is it like? Is that a card game? It's not a card game. It's a game with a board that has these little round discs and you slide them and you have like a dark team and a light team. The It doesn't matter what color it is. One's darker and one's lighter version mm -hmm. of the same color because sometimes they're black and white. Sometimes they're brown and tan. Sometimes they're orange and pink, whatever. <laughs> you know, they're different colored backgammon games, but traditionally it would have been just a dark and a light marble disc, almost like a checker. Okay. From, from the game Checkers. And you roll dice and you slide them to get home. And others can block you and send you back to start again. And it's been around for thousands of years. That kind of sounds like the game Sorry. It's very similar. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> except without the little bubble that you pop. <laughs> right? So anyway, they cast lots for his vesture. He says in verse 19, Be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. And the dog really was sort of a reference to the Gentiles that were crucifying him. Okay. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Now, um, unicorns is not like you think the New Braunfels unicorns, right? <laughs> That's exactly Pretty what horses with a nice thing. <laughs> so unicorns would have been something that was uh, a strong and powerful animal, but was a defiant kind of rebellious image. I think what would have been referred to in the King James Bible as a unicorn would have been a rhinoceros. That makes sense. And a, and a single horn rhinoceros, right? Mm -hmm. So they might be extinct now or they were hunted to extinction or something. But um, at the time, that would have probably been the symbol of great power and, and strength and ferocity. Yeah, those so things are scary. Oh, yeah, they've knocked over jeeps and things mm -hmm. I mean, on safari. So they're very powerful uh, animals. But if that was a picture of like bulls of Bashan and then this thing here, what we're talking about is a demoniac realm. Okay. Of the host of Satan's minions that were just rejoicing and throwing a party because they thought they defeated God, right? Mm -hmm. So, Bashan 
keeps coming up. It's a region. It's a word. In Hebrew, it means fruitful. I think it's Bashan if you said it in Hebrew or something, <laughs> whatever. But um, its first reference is going to shock you. Okay. Okay. We go to the book of Numbers where uh, Moses delivers the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And then their job is to go in and take the land from the Canaanites. The land of Canaan mm -hmm. was occupied by the people of Canaan. Yes. So they were called Canaanites. And do you remember one distinguishing feature about these Canaanites? They are giants. They're giants. <laughs> so they had different divisions of Canaan. So you might have been an Amorite, a Hittite, a whatever, a Malachite, whatever. But mm -hmm. they were all in general referred to as Canaanites. So in verse 31, we read in Numbers 21, Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites, and Moses sent to spy out Jazer, another region. Okay. And they took the villages thereof and drove out the Amorites that were there. So Amorites occupied the city of Jazer. They defeated them. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, do you remember him? I do. Og, he went out against them. He and all his people to the battle at Edrei, that was another city. And the Lord said unto Moses, fear him not. For I have delivered him into thy hand and all his people and his land. Now, I mean, God could have told him at any time, don't fear them. But he didn't say that about another group, all of them. So he goes out of his way to say, hey, don't be afraid of Og of Bashan. As if to say, he must be more intimidating. Yes. But don't worry, I got this. Well, why say that about Og? Because he's a giant, right? <laughs> so he says, and uh, thou shalt do to him as thou didst unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. He was another giant. Okay. So he says, if I can kill one, I can kill the other, right? Mm -hmm. So they smote him and his sons and all his people until there was none left him alive and they possessed his land. So we, we go back to seeing the defeat of Og of Bashan. They, he himself was a giant, six fingers, six toes on each, right? I had to look down. I was like, wait, do we to have six? Sure. I'm like, no, 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 we only have five. And what, what would you have done if you've counted six? I would have been like, oh my oh, God, no. I'm a I, giant. I can assure you she's not, folks. Uh, <laughs> she only comes up to my chin. <laughs> so, uh, so, but no, really, honestly, the giants, and, and then it says his sons, so they would have been giants. Right. And then the people might have been mixed or mm -hmm. human or both, you know, so, but you can clearly see that there's something going on right there. And then if you go to Deuteronomy chapter three, there's a little bit of a summary of that, like a rehashing of it in verse one, where he said, then we turned and went up by the way to Bashan and Og, the king of Bashan came out against us. He and all his people to battle at Edrei. And the Lord said unto me, fear him not, for I will deliver him. So it's the same repeat of the passage. Mm -hmm. uh, and all his people in his land into thy hand, and thou shalt do unto him as thou didst unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord, and so it goes further. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also, the king of Bashan, and all his people. And we smote him until none was left to him remaining. And we took all his cities at that time, all of the cities of Bashan. There was not a city which we took not from them, three score cities, 60 cities in Bashan, Whoa. all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars. Why? Why are yeah. they fenced with high? Because they're giants. They, they, they <laughs> use tall things and whatever. And then if we skip down to verse 11, it says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. 
Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. And we're talking about a 13-foot-long bed. It's a very long bed. That's a long bed. It's longer than most cars. <laughs> yeah, right. true. So you're talking about a man that was at least close to that length. So he was like probably 12 or 11 feet tall. A very big man. That's a big man. Now, this word giants here in Hebrew is refa or rephaim. And it's, it means uh, it's a type of giant because remember how we got giants in the first place. We go back to Genesis 6. Mm-hmm. Whenever this, the sun, the morning stars that left with uh, Satan came down and they started to intermingle with the daughters that's right. of humans. And then they made these obnoxiously big kids. <laughs> And those obnoxiously big kids were referred to as the Nephilim, Mm -hmm. okay? And so they were the first giants who would have been undiluted in their DNA of mixture of direct angel and direct human. So you're saying the Nephilims were the pure? They were the pure, they were the first giants, Mm -hmm. and they were probably the source of like the the Greek legends of the Titans Mm -hmm. and things like that. And then um, they were all destroyed in the flood of Noah. Yes. Along with the rest of the mixed hybrids because of their corruption of God's way and only Noah and his family. But we've also discussed, and especially when we did the interview with Ryan Peterson, that since giants showed up again and there's no record in scripture of another intermingling of angels, mm-hmm. it was probably DNA that made its way through perhaps the wife of Ham, one yes. of Noah's sons. And because Ham does something wrong, and when Noah discovers it, he doesn't curse Ham, he curses his son, Canaan. Yes. So hence the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. Canaan wasn't known for doing anything but receiving a curse. And you think, well, what did he do? He was innocent yeah. a kid. Well, why curse him out of the other sons of Ham? And Noah picks one grandson to curse. What was wrong with him? I think he was probably showing the signs of being a giant. He may have already been a full-grown man, or he was a young boy that shot up way too tall yes. <laughs> over the summer, you know. You know, because some kids, like uh, kids, go through a growth spurt, then the next thing yes. you know, they're like six feet tall. Unlike me. Yeah, <laughs> and me spurt. too. I was the runt of the litter in my family. <laughs> I got a brother that's like 6'2", six 6'3", six but yeah, I was the little guy. <laughs> so I can relate. But in this case, he was probably significantly taller. And they could know. So I think the reason the curse was, was because he had giant DNA in him. And it's just interesting that the land becomes known as the land of Canaan, land filled with giants, Mm -hmm. right? So these giants were there. And incidentally, it's kind of funny that he says, is his bedstead not in Reboth of the children of Ammon? So it's kind of like it was in a museum. There was a time when evidence of giants was all over the world and they put them in museums like this. Really? You can't find him anymore. Do you know why that is? I have a good idea. The devil doesn't want people to think this is true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we were talking to gi- about giants in the Bible to people that don't believe the Bible, they think we're nuts. Yes. Right? But these giants come into play because of, and by the way, this is something I want to discuss at length, if I may, with George Nuri on Coast to Coast. Because I, we've discussed how in, when Satan is cast out of heaven with the coming war in heaven, mm-hmm. and he's cast down to the earth with his angels, they're not going to just show up and say, oh, we lost the battle. They're going to show up with some form of a deception. Mm-hmm. And is it possible they're going to claim to be aliens and UFOs? and say, we're your ancestors, and if you take this mark, you'll become like us. 
giants, right? Mm -hmm. And there's something about that. We'll discuss it in some detail if George is willing to go down that rabbit hole with me. So another thing that's interesting is in this region of Mashan is is a mountain range, and it's still there now. And one of the mountains is called Hermon or Hermon, and it means a sanctuary. A lot of people associate this mountain with the worship of idols and other gods and things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, right today, it's in modern Israel. It's in the Golan Heights. It's the only place that has snow year-round, so you can go skiing. It's the only place in Israel you can go skiing. Really? Yeah, it's a a 9,000-foot elevation mountain. Yeah. So it's a pretty big mountain, but it's it's, um, a place where you can – it's like a resort area now. But there was a time when it was considered to be – and there's still a lot of people today that think that it might have been – um, where the original sons of God that came down to intermarry with the daughters of men might mm-hmm. have descended. I can't find Bible evidence of that for sure. Um, Ryan Peterson discussed, he thinks that they used more of like a river as a portal than a mountain. But mm-hmm. whatever it was, Hermon became a place identified with idol worship and maybe where the giants sort of congregated. Okay. Okay, so there's some tie-in with that. So if we go to Psalm 89... And by the way, I know I'll have to edit out a little uh, yip that occurred earlier, which was my dog wanting to come in to be with Zena because <laughs> he loves her. But uh, we couldn't let him in because we already started recording. But uh, he says in verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea, when the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces. As one that is slain, thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine. The earth also is thine. Remember, thee, thou, and thine is always singular. Okay. So it's possessive, thy. You know, if I said, is this thy coat, Zena? You know, I would be, and if it was talking to the group, I would say, is this y'all's coat? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That would be hard for everybody to share a coat. But but thy and thee are real specific. So when he's talking about God, he means only you. The heavens are thine. They belong to God. Okay. The earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Now, interesting they would pick out those two mountains of that yeah. range. You know, why say that? I, why wouldn't all the mountains rejoice in his name? So there must have been something about that mountain. Maybe it was identified with evil mm-hmm. and idolatry and whatever, the gods and the worship of gods, and certainly the giants yes. of Bashan. Rahab, incidentally, when he mentions Rahab there, it's Rahab in Hebrew, and it means breadth, fierceness, insolence, pride, boasters. So think of the arrogance of a defiant, angelic demon creature, you know, whatever. A a fallen angel, one of his offspring, if they are disembodied spirits like demons, whatever they might be, broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain, you know, the one that dares to stand up in his pride and arrogance against God. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. 
Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. God's going to break him. So this is a picture of the bulls of Bashan, because here are, think of these creatures. They're whatever they are. It could be the disembodied spirits of Og himself Mm -hmm. and his sons, or other giants that were defeated in Canaan, whatever, from that region of Bashan. And there they are spiritually appearing around the cross of Calvary as Jesus suffers. And they're laughing. Like and hyenas. In a exactly. Sense. Think of like a pack of hyenas. a good example. And then there's the men around them being goaded by them. Mm-hmm. They can't see them physically, but, they're, but their yeah. spirit is driving mm-hmm. them, if you will. <clears throat> so that's the picture I'm trying to get across with this. Now, in Isaiah chapter 2... And verse 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last day, so we know this is a future prophecy, Okay. that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Now, the mountain of God is Jerusalem. We've talked about that. Yes. So he's talking about exalting Jerusalem, which today is not that big of a mountain. You know, it's not as high as Hermon, mm-hmm. but it's going to be. When the Lord comes back, the whole geography is going to change, and it's going to be a huge plateau, much higher than all the hills around it. Yeah. And a whole new temple and city is going to be built on top of it. It's really going to be amazing. And he says, the nation shall flow unto it, verse 3, and many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law. Now, we're just showing that it's a future period of time of peace. It's literally the kingdom of heaven. It's the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ, some people would call it. And so that's for the context. When you scroll down, He mentions uh, in verse 11, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down like Rahab or Rahab. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. No other gods, not Satan, not his minions. And uh, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, these bulls and the satanic global elite, the, Mm -hmm. the world leaders that defy God. Uh, the, the shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up and he shall be brought low and upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up and upon all the oaks of Bashan and upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills that are lifted up and upon every high tower and upon every fenced wall. The idea of lifting up is pride. They dare defy God because they don't fear him. They, you know, and men don't fear him. So why would these angelic things fear him? Yeah. So entities of Bashan have been identified as bulls, 
as uh, a roaring lion and dogs, mm-hmm. as the giants, which they were, and now oaks, you know, the tree, like an oak tree. Why an oak tree? And so there's, there's different scriptures that talk about trees rising up above the others to lift themselves up in their height. A picture of arrogance, and it's a picture of the Antichrist. Okay. He's a cedar in Lebanon, it says, you know. And so cedars and oaks are considered to be mighty trees. They grow tall, and they're stronger. You know, oak wood is some of the densest, hardest wood. Yes. You know? Cedar's not as dense, but it's a, it's a, you know, think like the redwood forest in California. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a type of a cedar, some type of, in that family. I'm not a botanist, you know. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you can drive cars through some of those trees. They're so big. They literally Whoa. hollow out a, a tunnel for the road to go through, you know, in the Redwood Forest. That is forest. so cool. Yeah, that's a big tree, right? That so is. So it's the idea of this might and power and pride that these creatures have, you know. Okay. And so when we move on with these ideas to help us further define the bulls of Bashan, we're getting a picture of a spiritual realm of defiance and arrogance against God, mm-hmm. whether they be the disembodied spirits of giants, the giants themselves, Satan and his angels, they all fit that picture of this rebellious nature against God, right? And laughing at Jesus as he dies on the cross, having no idea that what he's going through right then is about to bring their defeat. Because they didn't know, they thought they defeated God. Yeah. But God had an ace up his sleeve. (laughs) So we go to Zechariah chapter 11, which is the second to last book of the Torah, the Old Testament. In chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. Howl, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage has come down. And and it just keeps bringing up this illusion of defiance, arrogance, and you're going to get yours. Mm -hmm. God's going to punish you for this, you know. And then Isaiah 33 and verse Seven, behold, their valiant ones shall cry without. Valiant is sort of like a mighty hunter, a mighty fighter, warrior. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The wayfaring man, the traveler, wayfaring, ceaseth. He hath broken the covenant. He hath despised the cities. He regardeth no man. The earth mourneth and languisheth. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Hewn is cut down like a, like a logger who chops down a tree. Sharon is like a wilderness, and Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. So it's like he's talking about that land, mm-hmm. I'm going to punish that land. Well, in that land are the bulls, the trees, all that stuff. And now if, if they languish and the trees are cut down, it's God cutting down these angels. He's saying, you thought you were so mighty? Let's see how you stand against them. He's humbling them. He's humbling them, exactly. (laughs) In fact, the very next verse, Now will I rise, saith the Lord, now will I be exalted. Now will I lift myself up. Think, he's hiding his face right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't think there is a God because he's not actively intervening with men right now in a way that you can physically see. Yes. He intervenes in your life every day, and we have a relationship with God, and we can see miracles in our own life. You know, we can see deliverance in our own life because by faith we see it. Mm-hmm. But there was a time when God could physically demonstrate things through like signs and wonders and miracles yeah. that we could physically see, and no question about it, parting the Red Sea, you know, something like that. And then it's like there's no question men knew that God was God. Mm -hmm. Well, today, since he's hiding his face from the nation, Israel, and he's only operating through men spiritually, men doubt. 
Yes. And hence the lack of faith we have in this world. And it's getting worse. He says uh, in verse um, uh, 12, And the people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. So there's a fire coming. We've talked about the wrath of God. Hear ye that are far off what I've done, and ye that are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surpassed, surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And nobody's going to survive this, right? No. He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, because the Lord will deliver the righteous, right? Mm -hmm. He that um, despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. In other words, when men will do the right thing and trust God rather than go with the crowd, God will deliver them. You know? He shall dwell on high, the one God delivers, the righteous. Mm -hmm. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His water shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. So what we were seeing there is, you know, Sharon like the wilderness, Bashan is going to shake, and all, all the burning, all the trees are going to be cut down. God's going to deliver his people Israel and the righteous as well. Now, lastly, in Nahum, the book of Nahum, which is a prophet that they call minor prophets because not many people know about them, he says, the burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. I don't know what an Elkoshite is, but <laughs> uh, Nineveh was a city that um, uh, Jonah was supposed to go preach to. And remember, Jonah didn't want to go, so he tried to hide, mm -hmm. and that's when he got swallowed by the great fish. Yep. Yep. So this is a different prophet. It says, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. So God's wrath is not upon the righteous, not upon his people. Mm -hmm. It's upon the wicked. It's upon his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. He's not going to let anybody get away without justice. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. So he keeps bringing them up as though there's something about those regions. Yeah. You know, and then Christ is talking about the bulls of Bashan and all that. So the picture is that this seems to be a center of demonic activity of some kind. Yes. You got it? And then if we go to Psalm 68... 68th Psalm, I guess I should say, to be <laughs> particular. Uh, but God shall wound the head of his enemies, verse 21, and the hairy scalp of such an one as goeth on still in his trespass. The Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan. I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea, that thy foot may be dipped in the blood of thine enemies and the tongue of thy dogs in the same. So you're seeing is like he's saying, okay, that land got... Uh, taken over by giants and the wickedness of fallen angels and satanic minions, I'm taking it back. And my people are going to occupy that land, and they're going to tread you under their feet. Mm -hmm. So it's all part of God's vengeance. Now, I want to wrap this up because we just have a few minutes left, but we're going to go to Amos chapter 4 and verse 1. Hear this word. Amos, another prophet, you know. You start to see some of these names like you've never heard of. Nahum. Yeah. But then a, a name like Amos used to be a very popular name. Really? Yeah, Amos was actually, there were a lot of men named after prophets 
in in years past. You know, and and it's funny every now and then in in my job as a tech support, you know, you'll we'll get customers that have interesting names that stand out, not your average Tom, Dick, and Nancy. You know? <laughs> and I I once every once in a while you get a customer and their name is like Samson. You know, How or, interesting. or Gilead or you know, <laughs> something like that. And you're like, OK, your parents must have known some Bible or something. <laughs> right. But anyway, he says, hear his word, ye kine of Bashan. Kine is an old English word for cattle. So kine, cattle, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. So it's cows. You kine of Bashan that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness lo, that, lo, the day shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And you shall go out at the breaches, every cow at which is before her, and you shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. So, you know, if you've got men in a region, giants, whatever they are, bulls of Bashan, you've got the females, the cows. Yes. There, there's the women probably that might have helped spread the, the DNA, mm-hmm. you know, whether willingly or not, we don't know, but uh, they were the kind here, if you will. So the idea is they were complicit in the fact that giants were trying to overrun the land of Canaan so that the seed of the woman would never be born, the prophesied Christ. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine Israel goes in to take the land of Canaan and they defeat all the giants. The only one that remained was Og of Bashan and they got him too. You know, yeah. A little while later, a lesser giant appears. His name is Goliath. David kills him. But you get the idea that they're constantly going in to destroy them. But the the remnants of the bloodline is still around there. It's still around today, I think, you know. Somewhere in there. I'm not talking about like basketball players. I was going to say, they're pretty tall. <laughs> they are tall. <laughs> but I'm talking about somewhere in there. There are probably giants out there that we just don't ever see or hear about, you know. Or the DNA is nascent, I think is the word, or subdued for now mm-hmm. in, in the genetics of certain people. And maybe when these certain manipulations are done, it's going to bring it out. Yeah. You know, and it wouldn't surprise me if Satan and his angels are actively working on some technology or AI, dare I say, or or something (laughs) that might help bring that out. But ultimately, what you had is Israel was used by God to exterminate them out of the land for the most part. Their aim was to prevent the seed from being born. Mm -hmm. They failed, the giants, they failed. So ultimately, Christ is born. Satan tries to kill him through Herod, killing all the babies. Mm -hmm. They don't get him. Finally, he... He grows up to be the savior of Israel. He performs miracles and signs and wonders in a three and a half year ministry in the nation. And they reject his offer and they crucify him. I know. So think about it. Here's the people doing it because they're being Mm -hmm. directed to by their leaders. But who are the leaders of the leaders? The bulls of Bashan. Mm -hmm. And so these demonic spiritual entities are cheering and whatever crowing as he dies thinking they finally got the victory and vengeance after all these years. Right? And they were wrong. They were wrong. <laughs> so to try to bring it to a close here, Deuteronomy chapter 32. I think I had more than I thought I could do in 45 minutes, but we'll just go a little long. <laughs> in verse 7 we read, Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask the, thy father and he will show thee, thy elders and they will tell thee, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. 
for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Now, what I'm interested in before we feel like I'm chasing a rabbit here is that he divided the nations to their inheritance. We think of like the Tower of Babel Mm -hmm. when he confounded the language and he scattered them abroad. But he didn't do it willy-nilly. He divided to the nations their inheritance. You know, Canaanites got Canaan, the Chinese got China, Germans got Germany, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did that uh, even though it evolved in a way that men thought they were migrating and doing it. God had a hand in it. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, he separated the nations by the bounds of the people, according to the number of the children of Israel. Well, how are they separate? Were there millions of Israelites? How are the nations separated yeah. into millions of entities, you know? Are there 12 tribes? Because, you know, there's more than 12 nations. Are there 12 divisions of the earth? But there's something interesting about the number 70 in the Bible. Okay? And let me, I'm going to run through this as quickly as I can because I don't want to make this a part two. I guess we could. But I think we can wrap this up in just a few minutes. So the book of Numbers chapter 11, Moses is told to appoint 70 elders. In verse 24, Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. Mm -hmm. And it came to pass when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. So God did a special empowering with his spirit to 70 elders in Israel way back then. Why 70? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's see if we can find an answer to that. Now, you'll remember when we studied Daniel chapter 9, there were 70 weeks yes. in a prophecy. Mm-hmm. 70 weeks until God basically finishes the work and restores Israel as his people. Mm-hmm. Okay, So we don't have to go read through all that again, but I'll just remind you that in chapter 9, verse uh, 25, or verse 1 rather, it said, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, because remember Daniel's a captive from Babylonian captivity, and now the king of Persia has the realm. He says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So 70 years they were in captivity from Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon until the Lord brought them back into the land. Mm -hmm. 70 weeks of years was a prophecy concerning Daniel and the fulfillment of the final week, right? And then when Jesus arrives or he appears and he begins his ministry, he calls 12 disciples. You know about the 12 apostles. Yes. Do you know about the 70 that he sent out? No, I didn't even know he sent out 70. There's a 70 in the New Testament. If you look in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, he says... Oh, that's not the one I want. But that verse does say that Israel was going to be punished and would be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. I threw that in there because we're in something called the time of the Gentiles, and I'm going to try to tie this in. So Romans 11 says, Behold, I show you a mystery, Mm -hmm. uh, that Israel is blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, what's the fullness of the Gentiles? So remember, Gentiles are all the nations besides Israel. Mm -hmm. So God offered Israel a kingdom. They didn't take it. Yes. Jesus Christ comes offering the kingdom. They don't take it. Israel was essentially punished by God starting with Nebuchadnezzar, and it began the times of the Gentiles. 
Gentile empires have reigned over Israel ever since Nebuchadnezzar. They have not yet been a free nation since Nebuchadnezzar conquered them. They were allowed to go back into the land, but they were under Persian reign, then Greek reign, mm -hmm. and then Roman reign. And finally, here they are today, ostensibly a nation, a modern Israel nation. Are they free yet? Well, none of us really are, if you think about it. We're still under the mystery Roman Empire, as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. But we're still in the times of the Gentiles. When the Lord comes back and the times of the Gentiles ends, Israel will be the head of the nations. They're not the head of the nations right now, and really nobody is, but the ones fighting over that top slot are America, China, maybe Russia, whoever. You know? yeah. But it's not Israel. They don't claim to be anyway. You know, I think we use the term superpower. Ooh. A superpower is like mm -hmm. the United States used to be the only superpower. Well, in our arrogance, we're going down too right yes, now. Yes, we definitely are. <laughs> but anyway, so we know about the times of the Gentiles. Now, back to the 70. Romans, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 10. Jesus appoints 70. After these things, verse 1, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. So he had 12 apostles, but he also had 70 that he sent out two by two into cities to go get, when, and when I come, you'll, you're going before me, and when I come, I'm going to do some things. Mm -hmm. But in verse 17, it says, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Meaning they were casting out devils and things like that. Mm -hmm. So why 70? 70 elders given special spirit of power from God. 70 years of destruction in Jerusalem, 70 weeks making up the times of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, there was a 2,000-year gap. We talked about that mystery in the two days. But 70 weeks, once it's fulfilled, will end the times of the Gentiles. So when he divided to the nations according to the number of the children of Israel, is it possible that the reason there were 70 elders... And the reason there were 70 other that were given special power by Jesus to have power over devils is that there's 70 primary princes of satanic origin that came from Bashan. The bulls mm. of Bashan could be 70 high-ranking archons or principalities of demonic origin mm -hmm. that were the ones gaping and laughing and roaring when Christ was crucified. There's a lot yeah. of satanic things to be roaring and laughing at. You. And that maybe somehow they, the reason 70 elders were appointed was to, to, to as a counter to every one of those 70 fallen mm -hmm. entities that control the nations yeah. right now. And hence, the times of the Gentiles, we're being ruled over by principalities and powers. And so to wrap it all up, and the last thing I wanted you to see is there was a prophet named Elijah. And uh, there's a point at which there's a Syrian king, and he gets mad at him, and he wants to kill him. So he goes after him with an army. And Elijah walks out one day, and he sees them surrounded by this huge army of the Syrians. And he's got a servant there with him who goes, oh, no, we're sitting ducks, you know. Mm -hmm. And I want you to think about this when we read it in 2 Kings, and this will be the last thing we discuss, chapter 6 and verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God, Elijah, was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host, a huge camp, compassed the city, 
both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> We're surrounded. And Elijah, he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm saying Elijah. It's Elisha. There's, there are two prophets. And Elisha was the, uh, was the, was the uh, follower of Elijah. Elijah left. Now it's Elisha. They sound so much alike. I know. I'm like, they could have given him a different name. <laughs> it's hard to tell them. <laughs> Some people might say Elisha. Maybe okay. that's easier. But anyway, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. So what, what he sees is the two of them sitting there like ducks about yeah. to be killed, <laughs> surrounded by the Syrian army on the mountains mm -hmm. there. And Elisha says, open his eyes, Lord. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and behold... The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha or Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha, and he delivered them. Who was this army and chariots of fire? Yeah. God's angels. The point being if we could see with our eyes God's heavenly host, yeah. we would never fear. Very true. But also, if we could see with our eyes Satan and his minions, could see it too. we would see the evil behind everything that's going on in the world today. So just as they were behind the people gaping at Christ on the cross, so are they behind the satanic global elite that's ruining the world today. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they were defeated is because the Bible says that God hid the truth of Christ's death on the cross, that it would bring victory over sin and salvation in a spiritual way. They thought they were defeating him physically. They didn't know God could raise him from the dead. And he brought about salvation. So he said, we speak wisdom in a mystery, mm -hmm. which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the princes of this world are the bulls of Bashan, are the satanic minions, who were laughing and gaping and roaring and carrying yeah. on in their arrogance as Jesus was nailed to the cross and suffering and dying. They thought they won. Mm -hmm. And then the third day, they had another thought coming because he rose from the dead and he gave eternal life to everybody that would receive it. If we could look around and see the spiritual world, we would completely change the way we think. And that's what the Bible does. It shows us that, but we can only see it by faith. And the world doesn't want to see this. So no. that's why we're using Bible mysteries to reach people, to get them to see that things that are going on are not by accident. Mm -hmm. They're by design. And therefore, we're out of time. I really liked this podcast. It was a very interesting topic. Yeah, I thought it would be of interest to some people. And also, it, it's going to tie us into some things that, uh, like I said, we might talk about on Coast to Coast, but we'll talk about in other podcasts. But tune in for next week because we're going to begin a series on something that a lot of people are writing me about and want to know about, and it's the mystery of heaven. Yes, that's super exciting. I cannot wait for it. Thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in every week to our podcast. We really do appreciate you all. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and share and also leave a comment. We do look at them. We definitely want you guys to interact with us. Please do. And thank you so much again for listening. Till next time, Zena and everybody, y'all have a great week. Yes, you guys as well. Bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.